You're listening to No Lies Radio, coming to you 24-7 from the San Francisco Bay Area, north of Berkeley. Your radio station for the truth, peace, justice, freedom, and more power to the people. Progressive Press, 
And so let's go ahead and bring on uh, Nick to talk a little bit about this uh, evidence that the 7-7 attacks were an inside job. Welcome, Nick Kollerstrom. How are you, Nick? Hi there, Kevin. Yes, it's a privilege to be on your show. And uh, indeed, the bit you just played was by the, the maestro of terror drills, Peter Power. And uh, he was, as I see it, kind of saving his skin by going of his own accord on the national media that day. He thought it was some sort of drill rehearsal, and suddenly the whole thing went live. And uh, I reckon that uh, going, uh, going on television like that several times was the only way to avoid getting himself arrested, just by trying to make out, look, this is some incredible coincidence. But uh, as you as you really, 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 out, you think, you, you, think he, you, you think he actually was worried about being arrested uh, for his company's participation in this attack, and so he went on TV to say it was that, a coincidence? Yeah, I that, would think that, more, that likely, he, more likely he, he would have not fully quite understood yet uh, what he had been involved in. I think a lot of people haven't understood the significance of drills, how drills are used to to conduit the, the false flag operation through the agencies, and then you switch them live, like, uh, for instance, with this uh, Hassan Fort Hood shooting. All they'd have to do is change the ammo in the, in the guns uh, from blanks to, to real bullets, and the people would be shooting it, and then they'd say, hey, is that ketchup or is that blood coming out of those people? <laughs> Right, right. Well, with Major Hassan, uh, they probably had him mind-controlled one way or another, uh, most likely, got him shooting so there'd be some witnesses that saw him shooting. And just like with Sirhan Sirhan and the RFK shooting, uh, possibly some real professional shooters would come out and, and do most of the damage. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Hey, Kevin, could I just come back to uh, this very, very central issue you brought up with, with Peter Power? Uh, let's remember that a year before, in the Panorama program showing this fictional attack on the London subway, Peter Powell was the chief narrator of events as three different bombs went off on London subways, uh, quite similar to the, uh, the, the ones they actually went off on. And one, one fourth bomb went off on a road vehicle, that, so it was incredibly similar on, 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 a, on a Monday morning, uh, and the, the whole scenario was quite similar. And then, a few months before, we had exercise Atlantic Blue, uh, a, a, war, a terror drill played out together with America uh, in which a whole lot of British civil servants took place in some sort of terror drill of a bomb going off, maybe on the underground, uh, in conjunction with a major international summit, which was, of course, happening just then, the G8 summit. And then, uh, last but not least, let's remember that filming uh, by Warner Brothers was going on in the months immediately before July the 7th. They were making the, the classic V for Vendetta uh, in which an underground train blows up I mean, how often is a film made of that? And that is just in the very months before July the 7th. And in fact, they cancelled the launch of that film because of July the 7th happening. It was a bit too close for comfort. Uh, so, uh, as Webb Stoutley pointed out, the, uh, what is going to happen is first blueprinted and, and rehearsed in various ways. And that is the process of, of as you were, imagining it, whereby, as you say, the, the drill transition then transitions into reality. Indeed, and, and you know another uh, explanation of what happened with Peter Power getting on television and and blurting out the truth <laughs> that these drills were exactly what happened, only it was real, um, is is that sign that you have a, a picture of on on the bombed bus. Uh, it's on the cover of your book, Terror on the Tube. It's a, a shot of this this bombed bus with a uh, an advertising sign, a billboard on the side of the bus that says "Outright Terror, Bold and Brilliant." Now, well, yeah. it's, a, it's, almost, it's almost as if these people are, are coming out and boasting about what they're doing. Well, daring us to catch yeah. them. Yeah. The, the right confidence, yeah. Uh, right. Yeah, but I think what you have is, is props to scare people. But when people see that it's a prop, then they, then they backtrack and they have the media to cover up for them and hush it up. So power may have been going out there just to in, increase the general hysteria with, with his remarks and then it was seized on by people who had been sensitized to the drill issue and then he, he kind of uh, turned tail. Well, that, that makes yeah. sense. Okay. Uh, it, it seems yeah, that with... Go ahead. Sorry? Go ahead, Nick. Well, I was just going to uh, uh, just develop the concept of I Islamic innocence, which I rather uh, tend to conclude in my book. I think, putting things very simply, that the four people suspect, uh, who were suspects were very likely involved in, in some game simulation uh, with 
Peter Powell. It's quite likely or possible. They, they were told to come down to London and to, expecting to participate in something. I mean, that's not impossible, OK? But uh, as I, see, I tend to say the clinching argument for their innocence lies in the chemical question of what the explosive was uh, and the way this, the forensic experts just cannot come out with a simple verdict of what the explosive was. Initially, it's um, high-powered military explosive that the real experts find in the environment of the blasted coaches, and then it changes to TATP, which is a sort of quite a difficult-to-make substance, and then it changes again to peroxide and black pepper. Peroxide is very much a favourite with these uh, rather bogus uh, t terror prosecutions that we've had in recent years in this country. And may I did, suggest that did you say peroxide and black pepper? So the, the, the current on black pepper. That's the current <laughs> official story. Is well, that, what, what can you actually get out of that mix? <laughs> um, well, let me first say that didn't appear until the uh, so-called July seventh trial in August of two thousand and eight, when three friends of the four were being prosecuted, and uh, there's, there's, a, there's a flat which is supposed to be the bomb factory up in Leeds where where the stuff was made, and and so the story itself, the idea that there's a bath with some stuff left behind. And the question is what was left behind. And whatever is similar to bombs, they allegedly found in a Luton car park. And so this stuff obviously has to be the same, and, and it should have possibly be the same as what was then found in the tube coaches. And uh, it ended up with the story of black pepper and peroxide, yeah. And uh, apparently journalists will believe that you can buy peroxide uh, hair bleach, which is an absolute maximum of 12% peroxide, and somehow distill that up to 70%, uh, which is what you need for an explosive. Okay, peroxide will go bang with just about anything, perhaps even black pepper, uh, if it's 70% concentration. Okay, um, but then it'll be rather unstable to carry around. I mean, would you really want to put it in a rucksack and take it all the way down to London? Um, uh, uh, but uh, the impossibility lies very, very much in the idea of, of how they would concentrate it. Basically, these, nobody ever showed these four lads had any interest at all in chemistry, or certainly not any chemical equipment. But that was always the main difficulty in the official July 7th fabrication, that you've got some very high-powered explosive which literally tears apart uh, coaches of the London Underground, like tins of sardines. And on the other hand, you've got up in Leeds some totally half-baked concept of, uh, of, of youngsters mixing up peroxide from hair bleach with black pepper. Um, and what on earth do they think that would, that would do? Nick, what um, might be interesting is, is if there's any index of the strength of an explosive, they get a number for this, this funny black pepper stuff, maybe it's, it'll make you sneeze or, or, or bleach your hair, right? Yeah. Up to uh, Well, there's C4. something called the, 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 the pressure, pressure, pressure blast ratio, which comes in other false flag terror. I, I, I wanted to say that both in the Bali bomb and in the Madrid bomb, two other very important false flag terror cases, uh, you get extreme uncertainty over what the chemical is in the alleged bomb, and for perhaps for somewhat similar re reasons, that they want to blame Muslims who don't evidently have any uh, uh, cap capability for making up sophisticated explosives. So well, this seems to this be a stuff, pattern, doesn't it? It, 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 in these uh, so, yeah. flag attacks, we, we see ca case after case after case from Oklahoma City, where, where there was a supposedly a truck bomb with fertilizer that did damage way beyond what any truck bomb with fertilizer could have done. Totally, through 9/11, yeah, totally, with jet, yeah. jet fuel magically bringing down three skyscrapers for no apparent reason, to the Bali bombing, totally, where yeah. uh, yeah, there's a, supposedly a car bomb uh, took out this entire hotel, uh, when in fact uh, yeah. there's a lot of evidence that it may have been a micro nuclear weapon, actually. Uh, totally, and here, I that, yeah. Right, over and over we see these um, government operatives using high-tech weaponry and setting up a patsy with, with yeah. something ridiculous that couldn't produce that effect, and yet people seem to go along with it. Totally, Kevin. That is so important. I wish, I wish police, British police officers could take to heart what you just said. I mean, I've been reading the new book by Andy Heyman, the top anti-terror cop in Britain, called The Terrorist Hunters. Now, this book was dramatically impounded when it was first published, and now it's been re-released, re re okay? As if, you know... Too much was released, sort of thing. And uh, his comment of the explosives, just wait for this. Up in Leeds, they found a whole bar full of a yellow bubbly liquid with an awful smell, right? A yellow bubbly liquid. And they found the same yellow bubbly liquid in the Luton car park in the car, which allegedly they'd driven down in, okay? And then, uh, and then they, he says, oh, our forensic experts are working on what this is. And he never tells us. He never finds out. 
So it's like some school, story out of a school pantomime, that some sort of evil-looking liquid is there, and nobody ever ascertains what it is, you know? Well, I think we need to have uh, look at some... Look at scientific evidence here, and, uh, uh, I mean, if, it, if this were a real story, they would be able to tell us what it was after a year. Indeed, I mean, there's, there's, there's thing. no transparency like at all with these, these situations. There's no, nobody uh, asking those questions and demanding answers. What happened to the yellow bubbly liquid? Well, that's the trouble. Uh, all this security that the police ha- have given to themselves, their right to uh, not just make up the story, but uh, uh, tell it to everyone and then be the judge of everything, it is far beyond what the police were traditionally supposed to do. And now they need to make up the story. And they released a whole load of this in what was called the July 7th trial. And there's no opposition because it, it wasn't actually terribly relevant to the trial. Three of the friends of the four were on, were on trial um, for allegedly having helped in the uh, this process. Uh, so there was no critical examination of anything that they said. And um, so the police uh, don't now don't have anyone to assess or criticize what they don't. I guess that's the meaning of living in a police state, that the police can do anything. I guess so. It sure would be nice if some of these uh, show trials that they've been staging, uh, including this, this KSM and four others uh, show trial they're planning to stage in New York, uh, would it be nice mm. if the accused would get a real defense that would say, uh, well, how, how, did, uh, how did these guys bring down the World Trade Center with nanothermite? You know, how did they stand down the Air Force? How did they keep Bush in a known location reading about pet goats during a supposed surprise attack on the country? Uh, you know, the, the first time that these patsies ever get a real defense, uh, we're really going to see something interesting. I've just been looking uh, on I mean, the Internet, example, uh, and it's called an Explosive Power Index. I found one such index. Uh, pepper and uh, <laughs> black pepper is not on the index here. This is not on the chart. It's uh, like, uh, yeah, it's a number. Nitroglycerin is 170, TNT is uh, 300, and so on. So what it doesn't have uh, is the other index of how much it takes to do certain jobs. But um, this might be an avenue of research, um, uh, or buttressing the case, uh, or finding out what is the index of this funny, bubbly yellow stuff, and, and what is the index you need to... Or, or the OK bombing too. You could apply that. Uh, I just I believe that, that I has been done. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, the fertilizer. Yeah, I think the fertilizer is just good for. Up on the chemistry bit. It's generally used for for blowing, uh, r- removing stumps. You put some of it under a, a tree stump, and it and it and it sort yeah. of it bumps it out of the ground. Yeah, well, we, we had a big case, a big case that the, the Heathrow liquid bomb. Uh, hoax, which so-called binary munitions were intended to be used, and they were going to mix them together in the, in the toilets of the aeroplane to blow up the mm. aeroplanes as they were flying over America. And this is something where nobody actually made any bombs, and the people arrested haven't actually got air tickets. Some of them haven't got passports. And um, so it was entirely based on what the police said they might have been intending to do. And I think this is extremely sinister with the new anti-terror laws uh, that uh, that. Uh, Following July the 7th, the police uh, have extensive people on the grounds of what they imagine might be intended, uh, and, and uh, the, the Muslims seem to be uh, don't seem to have much of a defence against against this. Now, di- didn't those people in the liquid binary munitions bomb uh, hoax uh, end up getting let off or uh, acquitted, or, or that didn't that case fall apart against them? I think they did, and I think they. They retried them again this year and, and put some of them in. Uh, I, 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 I think they redid that case because they didn't like the acquittal verdict. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. Hard to fight that kind of uh, so-called justice. Uh, don't you have double jeopardy over there in the U.K.? They don't have well, a bill of rights, That's gone out the window, rather. We had the trial with the three friends of the four. That's the so-called July the 7th trial last year. Um, in which a whole lot of, they released a fine lot of information about the Charles Simmons case, and uh, the jury failed to find them, uh, acquitted them. It didn't find, in the sense that it didn't find them guilty. And, the, and the, the Crown said, oh, no, we don't like that. This has cost about 50 million pounds, that case, for three months. No, look, we're going to do it again. So another trial this year, starting in January this year, another three months, and uh, the, the, the case was that they had conspired to cause explosives together with the four alleged bombers, right? 
the jury again found to find guilty of that, right? That's after about six months of uh, grueling case. But they then suddenly pulled out of a hat the, 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 the clause that they, had in, they were intending to do some jihad training in, Pakis, in Pakistan uh, or Kashmir. And because of that, they're in jail. So they're actually in jail. Uh, for these for jihad always training? Up with the mu- for intending yeah, to go. Some, in, intending to take jihad training? Yeah, talking about they're going to fight. Yeah, in, in Pakistan, and they, they might be fighting in Afghanistan. Um, Nick, that so was that, the trail where... I'd quite like to ask. Was that the trail where Muradib sent his DVD? The... That, that last yeah. one? <laughs> yeah, it was. In January, who's done his excellent Ripple Effect DVD, which I recommend, uh, he's, he did something quite within the tradition of British justice of sending copies to the trial in case it's irrelevance or, or assistance to the jury. Amicus Cura, and, right? Uh, Amicus Cura, yeah. And they arrested him on the grounds that this might be causing bias uh, and they're trying to uh, bring him over to England to, to try him. I, I, think they've, uh, I think they went a bit... Uh, I think that was a bit of a uh, bad step they made. But, yeah, uh, you can get his uh, DVD, 7-7 Ripple Effect is the name of it. Get it from Progressive Press or from Amazon. And that's right. And also, some of the money of that's supposed to go to his defense fund. Okay, 7-7 uh, Ripple Effect. I've, I've had uh, Muadib on the show a couple of times. It's, it's a, an excellent film. Uh so, uh, Nick, uh, you uh, do you've, you've harped on, uh, on this theme of uh, Muslim innocence, and I've taken some heat for arguing that those of us uh, in the truth movement uh, who, who really care about the truth should be standing up for the innocence of uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and his four accused co-conspirators uh, in the show trial that they're having in New York. And I, a lot of people right. in the 9-11 truth movement seem to think that they can have their cake and eat it too, that they can blame uh, Muslims, even though there's not much evidence or in some cases no evidence against them, uh, and, and try, try to save that part of the post-9-11 world that, that says there's evil Islamic terrorism out to get us, uh, while at the same time yeah. arguing that there are government people that are helping out that evil Islamic terrorism. Uh, what, what's, your, what's your response to that argument? Um, well, I, 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 I fervently believe that people should be innocent until proved guilty, okay? That's an absolute axiom of, of British, British law. And I, I have been, uh, sort of characters out of the media as consorting with terrorists, because I, I, I've tried to get the story off, off these people, uh, in general, I don't succeed. I don't, I, I, once they're put in jail, uh, you, you can't get to them. You, you, you never get their view, their, their side of things. Um, I think we have to try and believe in calm and, and rational discussion. And uh, uh, it, it, is, it is difficult, because once the, the demonized enemy image has been formulated, you know, here is terror, Muslims are terrorists, uh, either for us or against us. Once that's been done, uh, journalists tend not to have their usual critical and skeptical faculties uh, around them, and they tend to be obedient and just take whatever they're given, however absurd. Okay, Kevin, you know my um, take on that. It's uh, this kind of uh, wet or liberal attitude that um, people are going to get all worried about um, being fair to somebody who maybe did something bad, but uh, he was upset because he had grievances. That might work in a small segment of the population, but it won't work with the man on the street. The man on the street says, we were attacked, we're going to hit back. So it, it's, I almost think that uh, the, the, the Secret Services actually support this kind of, it's part of their, their divide-and-conquer, left-right tactics, they support these kind of uh, ideas that... Uh, well, you know, it's it's like Answer or all of these organizations. They'll they'll come out with these ridiculous positions that can never get mainstream or mass support. Like you know, feel sorry for the the poor terrorist because he was uh, he had a grievance. That's just not gonna. That's just just not a good position. And that's the position they want us to take. Well, that's right. And, and so uh, one answer to it is to continually point out that these kinds of massive terror attacks on um, U.S. or U.K. Israel don't help any anti-imperialist Muslim cause. So, folks, we're at the midpoint yeah, yeah. break. We're going to take I'm a five-minute to... break here and then come back for more. So this is Fair and Balanced. I'm your host, Kevin Barrett, speaking with John Leonard of Progressive Press. 
and Nick Collerstrom, author of Terror on the Tube, Behind the Veil of 7-7. We will be back in a couple of minutes. Stay tuned. Listening to No Lies Radio, coming to you 24/7 from the San Francisco Bay Area, north of Berkeley. Your radio station for the truth, peace, justice, freedom, and more power to the people. Welcome back to the second half of today's episode of Fair and Balanced. I'm Kevin Barrett. My guest today is Nick Collistrom, author of Terror on the Tube: Behind the Veil of Seven Seven. And also with us is publisher John Leonard of Progressive Press. John has brought out a lot of great books in the past, including a couple of, in fact, a whole bunch of Webster Tarpley books. John is uh, Tarpley's regular publisher these days. Uh, he's and one by my... Kevin Barrett. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I, was, I just was afraid you were going to bring that up, John. <laughs> well, I, 
Hey, Ke- Kevin, uh, may I say, I'm much enjoying your uh, Truth Jihad book. Uh, and um, I'd say for anyone who's read one or two books about 9-11 and is somewhere involved in the struggle, uh, I think this is a very valuable book showing the, the inner struggle and what one goes through and how it interacts upon one's life. That's what I find. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I actually intended it as a parody of Don Quixote uh, from a 9-11 truth activist perspective. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the guy, who was it, uh, Pierre Menard, uh, the character who dedicated his whole life to rewriting Don Quixote in the story by Borges, I think probably succeeded better than I did. Uh, but anyway, I mean, we need to write uh, a little bit of uh, uh, humor every now and then when we're dealing with such a grave subject or yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. it all fall apart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, well, could, could I perhaps come back to a, a one theme of the July the 7th story? Um, I, I, I've been reading the Andy Heyman book, The Terrorist Hunters. This gives the official police government view, okay? And uh, on this official view, the, within a few days of July the 7th, they're up in Leeds and they're arresting uh, and doing, having dawn raids on the three homes of the three people up in Leeds who they believe are... Uh, uh, plotted to do it, okay? Now, that happens by uh, 11th or 12th of, of July, and then only after that, afterwards, do they start recognizing CCTV images. So the, 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 the sequence is very clear. So they only recognize the four in London or in Luton on CCTV images after they've had these raids on the homes, okay? Are, are you with me? Yes, and yet, yet they claim that it was uh, the images that uh, identified the suspects. Yeah, the original stories were all, were all about how the great breakthrough came when they saw the, the pictures at King's Cross uh, and they saw the four marching intently with rucksacks and all that. We had all that hype, and uh, then it turned out they couldn't actually produce this uh, picture at King's Cross. No, no one saw it. Where, where is it? Can you show it? And then the story changed, and now what apparently is its final form the CCTV images, both at Luton and at Leeds, the, the two key uh, train stations, were only recognised by the police on Tuesday the 12th after they'd done their dawn raids on the homes. So the story, which I think is a quite impossible one that the police are now coming out with, is that they not only recognised three of the perpetrators uh, and found their addresses, but they, uh, they agreed upon their guilt. They decided these people must be guilty just from, what, recognize bank cards and gym cards left on the scene of the explosion. I mean, how like, how like do you really want to believe that? Do you want to just by recognizing a few gym cards from blown-up bodies uh, and a bank card, uh, they could tell who was guilty? Now, that seems to me is a grave weakness in the government story. That does sound like a, a serious weakness. Well, also, isn't there some question about those CCTV images that they came up with? Totally, Kevin, yeah. The one at Luton looks about as phony and dodgy as any CCTV image could possibly be, and most people who have examined it, Photoshop experts, uh, agree that it looks as if the, uh, the figures have been somehow uh, shunted into that image. In some way, the shadows aren't right, and the, the rain falling isn't right, and the, 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 the head is, uh, the, 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 the um, railings uh, are supposed to be um, in front of a somewhat in, in, in the wrong position. And everything looks very shifty. And then the, the picture at King's Cross, not only could they not produce it, but get this. You see, um, 10 days before this event, on June the 28th, three of them really had come up to London and had a nice day out. They, you know, been, it's been a very entertaining things in London. And they, so there were real, real CCTV images of them at Leeds and Luton uh, on the 28th of June. Okay? Now, a year anniversary of July the 7th, a year later, 2006, when the BBC was uh, retelling, uh, remembering all the July 7th stories, they kept replaying those June the 28th stories, CCTV uh, images, with the timestamps removed. And so a majority of Londoners came to believe that they had seen pictures of the, of the alleged terrorists in London on that morning. And what they'd actually seen were CCTV images of the four, or at least three of the four, from the previous week, June the 28th, with the timestamp remo- removed. So does this show that the BBC has gotten to bed with the forces of pure evil? I mean, it's pretty sinister. Uh, whoever is responsible for perpetrating this can somehow make the BBC 
show these um, somewhat bogus CCTV images. Yeah, it's like Mockingbird like over here. Say, like Mock Project yeah, Mockingbird general, over here. The no, media are all controlled by the same people that control the secret services. Ah, crumbs. Well, um, in general, I think it's true to say that there's no credible CCTV images uh, of the foreign and all credible witnesses, but you have to add to that that three years later at the trial, the Kingston trial, they did release some very dodgy-looking CCTV sequences of the four supposed to be in London, very sort of dark and shadowy in irregular intervals, and mostly without timestamps, and uh, a lot of them not recognisable. Um, but... I think the moral here is that the longer you don't release the CCTV, uh, the more questionable it is when you finally uh, when you finally do. And the, and the story, which is supposedly supported by these images, actually ends up being impossible, doesn't it? In terms of the uh, the the way these guys supposedly were able to make it down to London on the train in time to catch these trains and buses. Well, yeah, the the, the, uh, the initial data they gave us about CCTV images and the trains caught was all quite impossible. Uh, because I, I and a colleague made the discovery that uh, the trains were very delayed that morning, and the train the government uh, told us they'd, they'd got on, 740, was actually cancelled. So I think that was a major point of unravelling of the official story. Um, but I think uh, at a deeper level, the impossibility comes from the actual experience of the blast. A whole lot of victims who get their feet and legs blown off, and, and people witnessing that the blast seems to have come from under the trains either under the, under the seats or possibly under the trains themselves, uh, yeah. with the, the, the base of the coaches, the steel is twisted upwards. And the window uh, and, uh, imploded. This is why it's up. Yeah, imploded. And the glass from the windows blasts inwards. People get fractured by glass from the windows coming inwards. Um, people see flames outside the windows uh, when, they, when they see that when the explosion is going off. Um, uh, and and uh, there's very little you can uh, uh, of any testimony that sounds like an actual bomb going off inside a coach. Well, that's certainly odd. How did these guys manage to crawl under the coaches and set off their bombs <laughs> down there? Well, yeah, this is a bit like the I suppose the, the, the Madrid Madrid story. I think there's quite an important analogy with the Madrid bombing, where as as you know, Kevin, NATO had been having its big yearly rehearsal of anti-terror thing five days before, focused on European cities, and then 24 hours after NATO has finished its big operation, the Madrid bombing goes off. Um, uh, so I, I think there's some important analogies with these two different false flag terror events. And uh, as soon as you, the more you look closely at the sequence of what happened, uh, the less it looked like uh, any young terrorist with rucksacks on their backs had, had set them off. I mean, the, the original story would claim to have timers. It said the bombs were synchronous, uh, they were high military T4, and we found traces of timers for the detonation, the detonation of these bombs. That was the original story. And uh, it's only the amnesia and credulity of British journalists that enables the story to keep morphing as they wanted homegrown ter terrorists up in Leeds to have uh, brewed up this stuff. And, uh, uh, but, but the two ends of the official... Sorry, we'll never match up, you see. You'll and, you know, you mentioned that. Whatever you mentioned the NATO conference uh, shortly before the Spanish bombings uh, in Madrid. Mm -hmm. That does yeah. ring a bell uh, when we think about what NATO was doing during the Cold War in Europe. Uh, Operation Gladio was the name of, of one portion of a whole series of totally, false yeah. flag bombings yeah. and attacks that terrorized yeah. Europe during the Cold War that it turned out. Rather than yeah. being done by the left-wing terrorists, uh, it was actually a NATO. Actually, the U.S. High Military Command, acting through NATO, was responsible for uh, this huge wave of terrorist bombings. And if they were doing it back then, totally, yeah, uh, stands to reason that they might very yeah. well be doing it. Especially because nobody ever was held responsible for the Gladio bombings. But it's, uh, yeah, yeah, totally. It's probably the British SAS. Uh, um, but uh, I, to I totally agree that the Spanish need to understand connections between the Bologna between the Madrid bombing, 2004, and the Bologna bombing in Italy uh, a couple of decades earlier, which, as you say, was Gladio. It was the, the far right that did this. Well, the far right uh, under the direction of NATO uh, Western Secret Service people who were ultimately uh, commanded by the U.S. Pentagon. Just the fact yeah, that 77 yeah, right. was a, a train bombing already points the finger at the NATO Gladio. 
Because that's their modus operandi yeah. is is train bombings. Yeah. Well, they they did a whole series and, and of different kinds of attacks, of course. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, and let's not forget the tre- the tremendous geopolitical context of this. The big G8 summit. There's been a terrific campaign to make poverty history and forgive the debt in Africa, right? People all around the world with a terrific music concerts were expecting that G8 summit to forgive the debt in Africa. That means wiping off billions and billions of debt. And uh, they would have had to do something like that if it weren't for 7-7, right? Uh, 7-7 meant that all that hope could be extinguished and the dreary old business as usual of the war on terror would replace it. Bush and Blair shook hands and a day later the bombs went off. And 7-7 was also the basis for... There was a whole geopolitical purpose. Go ahead. Well, well, there's a whole geopolitical purpose in, in, in this uh, 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 event. Uh, and, for example, if it had been just one day earlier, uh, Britain would not have got the Olympic Games. Okay? It was going to happen in Paris, and the terrific the, the judgment took place. Oh, it was happening in London instead. Uh, uh, so there's a terrific sequence of events just before the July the 7th, uh, when Perfect Britain started a tremendous sense of euphoria and hope. Uh, and then it was all crushed by this event, uh, and this meant that uh, basically nothing happened as regards debt forgiveness in Africa. In in your book, Nick, you point out that 7-7 was the enabling act for the legislation against uh, the thought thought crime legislation, uh, which which came over the United States as the Violent Radicalization Act. So it's no longer, no longer do you have to do something, you, you just have to have opinions that theoretically could be not conducive to the powers that be, and, and, and you go to Guantanamo. And that legislation was engineered by 7-7. Yeah. You had your terror, anti-terrorism act in the, in the wake of 9-11, I it's think the just Patriot before act, right? the British one. Uh, the Patriot but, Act, yeah. yeah. But then very came similar the, wording. Then came the Violent Radicalization Act, and that was a copy of the anti-terror act that was passed in in England after... Seven seven. Oh, so like seven seven is like seems like small compared to nine eleven, but but they got the maximum out of it for the for the police yeah, state totally, and the surveillance totally, yeah. state. In fact, I think you'll find that two weeks later, on July the twenty first, when some sort of copycat event took place, not that anyone got hurt, but that was an occasion for American legislation for. Uh, for anti-terror, I think they took all the sunset clauses out of the Patriot Act then and made it permanent. Uh, and they used, so they used the, uh, the the events going on in London as an excuse for um, uh, for this uh, anti-democratic legislation. But no, those of us who've noticed, whole this, gutsiness. Go ahead. Yeah, well, they, they, those of us who've noticed this kind of connection between timing and these uh, false flag terror events. Uh, sometimes start to try to predict them or, or notice when you know when the, when the uh, context is converging in such a way that it looks like a, a red zone for another big false flag attack, and and I've right. been raising the alarms right now because it seems to me that we're we're at this point where a whole bunch of things are converging, such as the need to send uh, thirty forty thousand more troops to Afghanistan. The uh, Israel lobby is getting very concerned about uh, having their attack on Iran while it's still possible. And then we had the Fort Hood shooting, which has all the earmarks of a false flag event, as Webster Tarpley pointed out. Uh, We have the government closing down uh, a huge number of Iranian-connected, supposedly Shiite mosques here in the U.S., and we have this, uh, suddenly the Islamophobic meme is back in full force, uh, about as strong as it was at the time of 9-11. So we have to ask ourselves, what's going on here? Are they going to get everything yeah. they need out of this false flag attack at Fort Hood? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think that's yeah. the full show. That hasn't turned public opinion in favor of war. So I'm concerned that they might try something else. What do you guys think? Well, re- yeah. I remember before 9-11 there was, I remember at least one precursor event was the USS Cole bombing. And, of course, it just, yeah. it just didn't really you know, ignite uh, public opinion. But as you say, maybe it was a softening up for the 9-11 I don't remember if there was some others, but I think there was maybe one or two other small pre- pre- precursors. So that's what we may be seeing now. <laughs> I don't hope so. Yeah. Well, I think in America you're blessed with having uh, Cynthia McKinney as a politician uh, who speaks the word, words of truth. I think it's very very remarkable to have, have a politician um, uh, holding forth, as she does. And uh, I urge 
listeners to um, support her. And, uh, um, yeah, and Cynthia is, is a national treasure. Uh, do you have anybody like that in the U.K.? I know George Galloway is very good on the, uh, the Israel-Palestine issue, but he doesn't seem to be willing to go there when it comes to false flag terror. Absolutely not. No, uh, George is a bit of sort of hero, as you say, in, in some respects. John but Kilger he either. Russia side anything to do with the idea of fabricated terror, terror events. He just he just won't do it, you know. Um, so so uh, Cynthia has got this tremendous insight. And I mentioned the um, as is a day or two after the Kennedy assassination uh, um, anniversary. Uh, she has great insight into those assassinations of the 1960s that may have, may have been what got her sort of radicalised. Uh, and uh, likewise, when she came into England a couple of years ago, we found a t- tremendous insight into the way uh, the fabricated terror events uh, are made and used. Yeah. With, with 9-11, what we had is anybody who had an established reputation, anything, anything to lose, was not willing to, willing to go there. So the 9-11 Truth Movement was made up of newbies, people that you know hadn't really been active or been anywhere before, people like me that actually made a business out of it. But, you know, people like, yeah. well, Gord Vidal made a little inclination in that direction. He's too old to care anyway, I guess. But uh, Howard Zinn pulled the rug. Um, all the all the big so-called leftists, uh, just all, <laughs> all you saw was their backsides. Right, and I think you're right, John, that that's because well, they have too much to lose. Uh, they, they, they enjoy their so place got... at the table. Yeah. Right. Well, you have got a tremendous 9-11 truth, truth movement in America, that has, please don't underestimate the enormous amount it's accomplished, with nearly half of the, about 40% of American people believing there's something fishy about this official story, uh, whereas we don't have anything here comparable with the July the 7th uh, tr- truth movement. It, it's, I think it's just really a sizable proportion of Muslims feel that it's a funny story, but uh, uh, otherwise there's no major social political movement that, that will... Uh, take on board the possibility that Muslims did well, not well, work. Well, raising the issue of Muslims who are very much sympathetic with truth movements in general and, and 9-11 and 7-7 in particular, and there are quite a lot of Muslims in the UK and in Europe, uh, maybe, John, you could also contribute to this, and I know, Nick, you work with Muslims in the UK on this. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm uh, trying to help uh, stimulate Muslims worldwide and in the West to pick up the torch for uh, the truth about these events and about false flag terror. I've thought a lot about that, and you know, I've heard that in the Middle East, like everybody, everybody figures 9-11 was a Mossad, and they say so openly. I think in the U.S. and U.K. Yeah. that the Muslim community is under such terrific pressure to assimilate to become part of the community, that they, they cannot uh, go into such a provocative position. They just kind of put their head down, like, you know, the Chinese or the Japanese here in the last century. They just, you know, mind their business and stick in their ghetto, and, and, not, and they, don't feel, they don't feel entitled, really. They're, 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 they're trying to get entitled. They're trying to become full members of the society, and so they just, they just wanna, don't want to stick their neck out. And I think that's a mistake Absolutely, because yeah. they're just sticking their neck out to get it cut off. Yeah. I mean, I think Muslims have got to realize that they have to say, we're not guilty, we didn't do it. Right. Uh, and, uh, uh, I mean, the particular contribution they could make is to, is to look at the, I often feel the, the real identity and character, these people who get demonized and then locked away in jail, uh, if, if we could get as much background as possible on, on these people who are alleged to be terrorists and who were they really, and I think that Muslims are in a position to, to, to do, do that. For example, um, yeah, if I may, Kevin, uh, so we had an interest in Osama bin Laden. You kindly took a, a, a book review I did about him on, on your side. And um, I believe there's a book just come out by him on David Ray Griffin. Um, I, I find, I used to tell, often tell people that... Uh, Osama bin Laden died way back in December 2001, um, and a lot of people just don't believe me, you know, because they're so conditioned by all the fabricated uh, videos that, that keep being brought out at regular intervals. And um, so I hope that having that learned, learned scholar David Ray Griffin bring out a book on the subject might uh, alter the uh, climate a bit. Well, Griffin's book, uh, Osama bin Laden, Dead or Alive, 
is a, an excellent and very succinct readable uh, volume that it's, uh, should convince any open-minded reader that it's, it's really obvious there's a problem with this uh, whole chronology of, of bin Laden uh, post 9/11 uh, where you know he four four times in September 2001 he denied and in some cases deplored the 9/11 attacks and uh then yeah. right when the authentic bin Laden disappears off the face of the earth we get this blatant forgery of a so-called confession video that with no chain of possession whatsoever mm-hmm. that condemns him in the eyes of public yeah. opinion and and since then we've had nothing but Highly dubious uh, messages from Bin Laden that even uh, you know top Bin Laden scholar Bruce Lawrence at Duke University was forced to admit uh, they're dubious and that the so-called confession video is bogus. He actually said that on my show. Uh, so uh, I, one would think that American Muslims would be willing to stand up and and say these things, uh, but as you say, uh, Nick, yeah, it, it's tough. It takes I think it takes more courage for Muslims, American Muslims, to do this than for non-Muslim Americans, and, and most non-Muslim Americans are too cowardly <laughs> to do it. So it's like, you know, it's like the Palestine issue. It's uh, you get more Jews standing up and saying, "Hey, this is wrong," than you get Gentiles who are afraid of being called anti-Semites. Indeed, yeah. Gilad oh, Atzman yeah. was one of those well, people well, who came on my show recently. Uh, yeah, but. Oh yeah, he, he can go. He can go ten times farther than anybody else. He's a trip. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's my kind of person. You know, I like people like Gillard who just uh, say what they think uh, and let the chips fall where they may. And speaking of which, Nick, uh, we have a couple yeah, of minutes I'm, left. I'm, uh, you, I'm you've taken all right. kinds of heat for that. Uh, what? The people, some people in the UK truth movement think you're a liability for the movement because you uh, shoot off your mouth about all sorts of other issues, including questioning the, uh, the all the details of the official version of the Nazi Holocaust. Um, briefly, well, well, uh, some, some sort of cr- critical comments were were, were, were permitted. Uh, I, I was a science historian, and I wanted to make some comments about uh, chemical evidence for how the cyanide was used and where it was used, uh, and. Uh, and I found that, uh, yeah, people didn't really want to discuss the matter at all. It was just, I was just labelled and put into a quite untruth, wrong position. That wasn't my position at all. So, so why, why do you think? Why do you think it is that? that uh, why is it that all, of all the many holocausts and genocides, such as the African slave trade, the Native American genocide, and, and on and on and on, uh, those are two, of course, that we white Americans are guilty of. Uh, why, why is it that people talk about, seven, uh, seven. They, they have like, uh, death tolls in these genocides range from 100 million to fewer than 10 million. That's a gigantic difference. And people, yeah. nobody is pilloried and chased out of polite society for arguing about things like the uh, numbers killed uh, in those Holocaust and genocides. And seven. yet anybody who, yeah, who well, underestimates, you know, the it, Nazi it, Holocaust is, is, is run out of town on a rail. What's, what's with that? Uh, can I tell my... Uh, history is actually about the present. So they need the exceptionalism that the Holocaust was the worst thing that ever happened by an order of magnitude any, than any other genocide in the world because that relativizes the genocide happening now. Like uh, there's figures as many as uh, 3 million people killed in Iraq, innocent people, maybe 1 million to 3 million. Yeah. Now, uh, if yeah. that was a manslaughter... And if the Nazi genocide was also manslaughter rather than mass murder, then where are we? We don't have, you know, we aren't better than the bad guys anymore. So that's, that's why it's a sensitive issue. That's why you can't even touch it. We can't even take a little tiny piece off of it because they need it intact as a hammer to hit you over the head with. And as a comparison, that, that, that what's happening now is, well, not so bad. At least it's not as bad as the Holocaust, right? Well, I, I agree, yeah, well, I, I think, uh, Go ahead. Yeah, like, uh, well, as you say, Gilead Altsman, I think he's, he's brilliant on the, on this subject. I'm going to definitely book up for his next Alpha Sax concert, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he's, he cited uh, an Israeli professor who argues that uh, the Holocaust is now a religion which has largely replaced Judaism uh, among ethnic Jews. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think he's got a point because, you know, what is sacred is, is uh, you can tell what's sacred because if somebody... Um, commit sacrilege, then they face consequences. And in today's world, yeah. the biggest sacrilege that you can commit verbally is by questioning the Holocaust, as you found yeah. out, Nick. And, uh, that means sure that that did, story yeah. is, is, is a religion. It's no yeah. longer history. It's, it's myth. It's religion. Well, what Nick's argument pointed to was that maybe what happened there 
It's those people were worked to death, starved to death, partly because of the war. There was no food supplies. You know, and if it's like that, then it's that's too close for comfort. That's too close to what happened to the sanctions on Iraq. So they just can't have that. Well, can I just... Hey, Kevin, can I just say, as I mentioned subject, I, I don't want to be dogmatic. I don't have a dogmatic conclusion. But I just feel we should permit ourselves to sit around and talk about it, that, that it shouldn't be totally off-limits. And uh, if, if there's sort of, you know, evidence about how the cyanide was used, uh, I think that should be of interest that we should be allowed to discuss. And the fact and that it is off-limits... Really. The fact that it is off-limits means they must have something to hide. Well, that's right. That's that's a real problem. I, I've been starting to investigate this issue a little bit, and I'm not, you know, I, I was expecting to quickly find summaries of the evidence that clearly showed that the standard Western Holocaust narrative is true. Uh, and I'm kind of shocked at, at finding it a little more complicated than that. I certainly haven't found any evidence that proves to me that it's false either, but the issue is not one that anybody can really come right out and say they know what they're talking about until they've done serious research, and I, yeah. I haven't done enough research yet to understand it. Yeah, it's pretty... It's, it's anyway, pretty I hope that, easy. that my book on the, on the London bombings can be assessed on its own merits uh, and not about this admittedly sort of more emotional issue of what happened Indeed. six years ago in Poland. Well, that's right. We have to take each issue and each work uh, on its merits and not, you know, use uh, ad hominem attacks against people because we disagree uh, rapidly, perhaps, yeah. with, with what they think uh, in some other area. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a science historian. I was working at my university, UCL, and this the bombs were just right next door to it, you see. Tavistock Square was just, just over the road from it, uh, and uh, it was on territory I'd, I'd known all my life, and... Uh, so I just found myself getting drawn into it, and I, and I love these kind of uh, uh, sort of conspiracy type puzzles to to work on. I think that's why I, why I found it so fascinating. Well, you your know, book I could does, tell does. people. I could tell tell that what was coming out wasn't the truth. You you, you tell after a bit this stuff is in some way fa being fabricated, uh, and and uh, and uh, I was with a group of people. You see, the London 9/11 Truth Movement. I think a lot of people with similar mindsets are tending to be skeptical. Of, of whatever the uh, official story was and the way it kept changing, you know. Um, so I think that was how I got into it. Yeah, I think the 9-11 truth, uh, you just don't believe any narrative that's brought out anymore by the Anglophile establishment. And so everything's up for grabs. And even going back in history, it's caused me to, to look more carefully. And what I'm finding is, is the, the Anglos basically provoked practically all the great calamities and wars that have happened in the last couple of centuries. It's, it's crazy, but you start digging and you start finding it. It's just a, it's a very uh, definite pattern. Yeah. Indeed. I and mean, everything from the French American Revolution, the Civil War, American Civil War, it's, it's always the British finger in there. It's really weird. Well, I think, Kevin, we need to ask what kind of civilization can live, in, can live without war, can manage without the enemy image? I think in your book you talked about Andalusia in this respect as a, as, a, as a culture that we need to try and em, 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 emulate. I think the British over centuries have always needed wars, and it's sort of in, in their blood that they will respond when a leader tells them, uh, here's the enemy, I here's the war we've got to fight. I wouldn't buy that. I don't want to buy any race, race theories like that. It's just that uh, there's a, an elite, the city of London, that are, are running the world for, for their profit. Uh, it's a financial oligarchy. Uh -huh. Okay, well, you know, we're going to have to cut it off there because we've reached the end of the hour. Uh, Webster Tarpley will be back on this show in a couple of weeks to develop that uh, concept of the City of London oligarchy uh, running things from behind the scenes. But it's been great uh, talking with Nick Collarstrom, author of Terror on the Tube, Behind the Veil of 7-7, and his publisher, John Leonard of Progressive Press. Thanks, uh, Nick and John. Uh, it's been good. It's a pleasure, Kevin. Yes. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm Kevin Barrett. You're listening to Fair and Balanced. My website is truthjihad.com, and I'll be back next week, same time, same channel. See you then. Most people think you're a nut. The fringe element out there that believes the U.S. government orchestrated 9-11, that is President Bush and the American military, killed 3,000 people. One of those pushing this theory is Kevin Barrett, who actually taught at the University of Wisconsin this fall. I don't think this is the proper forum, though, for people that hold extremist views like yourself. Reason no, you guys are extremists. Fox News is the biggest bunch of extremists on the planet. And evil people see you as an extremist, and I don't think you're the most appropriate guy to teach that class. My, my guess is you're the most appropriate guy.
trying to be on the airwaves spewing your venom that's what, uh, throughout this country. Uh, I think you guys should be taken off the airwaves because you have silence of the time.